This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Subway to Shea podcast, episode 45, the Tug McGraw, John Franco episode. This is Anthony Rivera here with you, talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram, at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. Now please take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this show better each and every week for you Met fans out there. So by going on Apple Podcasts, rating the show from one to five stars, hopefully you're giving me five stars, and also leaving comments in the review section. It could only help me to help make this show better each and every week. If you're a new listener to this podcast, thanks for joining us. And if you've been a supporter this whole time, I can't thank you enough. I can't thank you enough for coming on this journey each and every week, and we continue that journey right here, right now. Make sure to follow my work for Rising Apple. Rising Apple is a New York Mets site on the fan-sided network. You can read my articles by going to risingapple.com or checking out the links in the description of this week's podcast. Well, not this week because I have not written an article in a couple of weeks, but usually when I do write an article, which I should be coming out with one next week, you'll be able to click on the link in the description of the week's podcast. Now make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog and the Fan Sided Network at Fan Sided. Now the lockout has officially begun. No activity in baseball for who knows how long. But like I said it on Twitter, I'm not going anywhere. You are not going anywhere. We are not going anywhere. This podcast will be here for you through it all. I will try my best to put together the best content I can for you. And it starts with this episode right here. I hope all of you got to enjoy your Thanksgiving. I know I did, as it is one of my favorite holidays, getting to eat and spend time with my entire family. I don't know if you had the entire weekend off, But if you did, did you go Black Friday shopping? How about Cyber Monday? I know one person who enjoyed shopping on those days, and that is the owner of the New York Mets, Steve Cohen. He made some big moves, and none bigger than signing Mad Max. You heard it right. Mad Max, Max Scherzer, is a New York Met. He signed a three-year deal worth over $130 million, a $43.3 million AAV. It's the highest AAV, easily surpassing Garrett Cole of the New York Yankees, who had $36.0 million AAV. Now, the biggest takeaway for me is this deal has an opt-out after two years. It also has a full no trade, but the opt-out is important because in two years, if he decides to opt out, Along with his contract, Robinson Cano, if he doesn't get released, his contract will be up. 
and money will be off the books. And there are a couple other players that I'm going to talk about later on that have signed with the Mets that also only have two-year deals. So the Mets did their best to keep the contracts to a short term. And for me, and bringing in Scherzer was a huge deal. And getting it to only three years, I thought was perfect. He's right around 37, 38. He's getting up there in age. And you don't want to lock on for too long. Although he's one of the best pitchers in baseball, along with Jacob deGrom, and you can count Garrett Cole if you want to. But you don't want to lock on a contract with someone that is, you know, getting up there in age. We already got Cano, who's up there. And you also got that long contract from Francisco Lindor. I think it's best for the Mets if they do go high AAV and try to get the years down to as little as possible. Now, the Mets beat out the Anaheim Angels, who ended up being the team that finished out second. And good, since they took Aaron Loop from us, and they also took Noah Syndergaard. Serves them right. But I was surprised that the Dodgers came in third. The Dodgers, who traded for Max Scherzer. Now, for the Mets, this deal reminds me of the Pedro Martinez deal. I know a lot of people keep referencing the Mike Piazza deal and how that changed the culture. And yeah, that I get. It does change the culture a little bit, but more thinking of coming in and the short-term deal and the money and the age. I got more of a Pedro Martinez vibe, 05. Even bringing in Pedro Martinez kind of changed the course for the Mets. That was the last time the Mets really spent in 05 and 06 when they went for Pedro Martinez, and then they got Carlos Beltran, and then the next year they got Leduca, Delgado, Wagner. That was the last big time that the Mets did that. So in 2005, they got Pedro Martinez. He was 33, but a lot of mileage was already taken. And he had really that one good year in 2005 when he went 15-8 and with a 2.82 ERA. He made the All-Star game. And then 2006, he had a good start, made the All-Star team again, but then he got hurt. We missed him for the rest of the season. Who knows what could have happened if he stayed healthy during the playoffs. The Mets might have won the World Series. It might have changed the course of the team forever, but he got hurt. So this is why I bring up Pedro's deal because, you know, we have to be aware that even though he's one of the best pitchers in baseball, he's up there in age and we don't know if he's going to be the Max Scherzer that we're paying for. You know, we're paying for his past. Can he still deliver? Hopefully we will see that if baseball gets over this lockout. Now, the best thing about this is we've got that one-two punch now. Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer. Kind of reminds me also of when Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson teamed up in Arizona. And guess what happened there? They won a World Series. Now, I saw a graphic from MLB. It had Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer since 2018. deGrom had made 91 starts to Max Scherzer's 102. ERA for Max Scherzer, 2.74. ERA for Jacob deGrom, 1.94. DeGrom had 774 strikeouts, and Scherzer had 871 strikeouts. Now, ERA plus, 205 for DeGrom, 156 for Max Scherzer. I mean, these two, ace one, ace two, legit, both leaders of the team. Scherzer brings a different kind of bravado and leadership. He's more intense. That's why he's called Mad Max. But some interesting things to come out of his press conference. And they talked about how he was doing after the playoffs because, you know, he did not pitch in the one of the pivotal games of the NLCS. And he was fatigued. He said it. He says now he's in his normal offseason program. 
but he needed to see where his arm was at. He needed to make sure there wasn't any damage, and there wasn't, and he needed time. He just overcooked his arm, and that was from Scherzer during his press conference. Now, interesting, he did bring up Jacob deGrom as we talked about him, and he called Jake after their meeting, and just to get a sense of what New York is like and how he's feeling. And he goes, just get a state of where he's at. Came away happy with it, and the dream of pitching with him, we can do some great things together. And I hope they do. I really do. On paper, it's a dream. But again, and I don't want to be the Debbie Downer, these guys need to stay healthy. Everything looks good on paper, but what they don't account for paper is injuries, and there's so many factors that come in. But on paper, this looks great. And they also talked about him coming to the team and why he came here. And Scherzer last year could have gotten traded to the Mets, and a lot of the thought was that he vetoed, but he didn't. And here's what he had to say. He said that it was more coming from the Nationals over the summer. They didn't want to trade me in the division, and he understood that. We all understand that. Why? Why trade the best pitcher to your division rival? He said when free agency comes, it's a completely different animal. For him, all 30 teams were back in play. Now let's look at Max Scherzer's career. Three-time Cy Young Award winner, eight-time All-Star, won the 2019 World Series with the Nationals. He's a career 190 and 97. So 190 wins, 97 losses, a 3.16 ERA in 398 games started. He's logged over 2,500 innings pitched. And in 2021, he went 15 and 4 with a 2.46 ERA in 30 starts and 179 innings pitched. Now, if we look at his career, last season, the 2021 season, was the lowest ERA of his career at 2.46. I mean, I guess he gets better with age. I know we talked about him getting older and stuff, but he looks like he's getting better with age. His innings were down, but they were also up from 2019. He finished with the Dodgers after he got traded from the Nationals. He was 8-4 with a 2.76 ERA. He went to the Dodgers and was 7-0 with a 1.98 ERA. I mean... Uh, I, I just, there's no words to talk about how great of a pitcher he is. 2013 had 21 wins. 2014, 18 wins, both in Detroit. For the Nationals, in 2016, he had 20 wins. And in 2018, he had 18 wins. Those are the most wins. And those wins led, I guess they led the league. Because on Baseball Reference, they are in bold. So it says the season totals indicate the player led the league. He also led the league in strikeouts. From 2016 to 2018, he led the league in strikeouts. Again, a Hall of Famer, probably one of the best pitchers of this generation, right there with Jacob deGrom. Right now, he's got more of the resume of Jacob deGrom because he's got the extra Cy Young. He's got the All-Star Games on him, and he's got a World Championship, which hopefully in the next three years, he can bring to the New York Mets. And now I mentioned a little bit earlier about why Scherzer came here. And he, he wasn't not coming here because he didn't want to be in New York. Max is a bulldog. He's a gamer. He wants to win. And the Mets needed to show that they were ready to go in that direction, that they were ready to win. Even if the Nationals were deciding that they wanted to trade within the division, I don't think Max would have came here because the Mets were struggling. Even though they were in first place, they were floundering around. But this offseason so far, what Scherzer saw 
was that this team wants to win. The Mets are going in a different direction and showing Max with the other moves that we're about to talk about is, I think, what put him over the hump in wanting to come here. There's another reason, which I'm going to mention later because it has to do with another player as well. We're going to get into that a little later. But let's talk about the players the Mets got. On Cyber Monday, they gave us Max Scherzer. But a couple of days before that, on Black Friday, the Mets made three, I think, significant deals. We'll start off with the first one. Eduardo Escobar, kind of super utility third baseman, a two-year deal worth $20 million, versatile around the infield. Could he start at third base? Is he the replacement for Jonathan VR? We're going to find that out. We're going to definitely find out if he will be starting at third base. Billy Epler didn't want to commit to that during the press conference, but I do see him getting a lot of time at third base. He's also played shortstop. He's played second base, and he's had a long career spanning 11 years this past season 28 home runs with a 253 batting average 90 rbis 314 on base percentage 472 slugging percentage ops of 786 ops plus of 109 and a 2.4 war for his career 256 batting average 138 home runs and 536 rbis 21 stolen bases he's played for the white Sox, minnesota arizona and most recently, Milwaukee, he got traded in the middle of the 2021 season from Arizona to Milwaukee, but he was an all-star. He seemed to play a lot better for batting average once he went to Milwaukee, but the home runs came in Arizona, 22 home runs, so he can hit with power. His best year, 2019, batted 269, 35 home runs, 118 RBIs. So let's see if he can replicate or give us something as good as what he's done last season and in the 2019 season. In addition to Eduardo Escobar, the Mets signed another versatile player, Mark Canna. He came from the Oakland Athletics, a two-year deal worth $26.4 million with an option for 2024. Now I say he's a versatile player, plays in the outfield, also can play first base. And he talked about his versatility on the press conference when they were doing the introductions. And he said, I don't care. I'll play wherever you need me. I've always embraced that role and took pride in my athleticism and my ability to play all the outfield positions. Wherever you need me, I will go. And that's great. That's the mentality that we want from these players just watching videos and clips of him and seeing his personality i think he's a player that we are going to grow to love also he's a foodie like me and you can see his adventures on instagram at big league foodie now let's look at mark canna's stats as we go on baseball reference here mark canna 2021 season bad 231 17 home runs 61 rbis had 12 stolen bases so he's got a little bit of speed on-base percentage, 358, slugging, 387, OPS, 746, and OPS plus of 111. For his career, that's 244, 89 home runs, and 294 RBIs. Now, as we look at his career, all in Oakland, in such a hard park to hit, his best year offensively, the 2019 season, just like Eduardo Escobar, Batted 273, 26 home runs, 58 RBIs, and just like that, he, Mark Canna, is a member of the New York Mets. But they weren't done. After getting both Mark Canna and Eduardo Escobar, 
the Mets pulled off a move almost at midnight. And if you're listening to this podcast, you know also that I went on to do Twitter spaces after all these signings. And I'm happy that you guys came on with me to discuss this. We're going to do more Twitter spaces as the time progresses. Hopefully baseball gets back in action and the lockout ends. But close to midnight, the Mets signed Starling Marte, the superstar outfielder, four years, $78 million. Now, he comes with a caveat. Marte served an 80-game PED suspension. So that's something to look out for. Hopefully that doesn't come back like what happened with Cano and he talked about during his presser about wanting to play with Robinson Cano. Let's see if Cano's still here, because right now he's injured and is not going to play winter ball. So we'll see what the Mets decide to do with him. What does this mean moving forward? Well, with the Mets signing Starling Marte and Mark Canna, it probably means Michael Conforto is done being a New York Met. Now, I'm kind of okay with this, especially after what happened last season, especially with him wanting more and more money. I don't know if he's going to get it, but kudos to him if he does. What does Starling Marte bring to this team? Speed. You put him at the top of the lineup with Brandon Nimmo, and hey, let them roll, man. Let's see what they got. Nimmo's a table setter. Marte can bring in the RBIs and the speed. The Mets need to get this offense going, and putting those two at the top of the lineup to get it started, that's the way to be. Also, the defense. Marte, elite defender in center field. It gets to move now Brandon Nimmo and shift him to either left field or right field, which is kind of where I want him to be. You know, with all the injuries that Brandon Nimmo has taken on, I worry about him a little bit, and especially in playing center field where he has to cover so much ground. I have to, you know, kind of think for his future. It might be better for him to be in a corner outfield spot. And now with Marte, it's the right move. And I said previously that if I was getting and signing Starling Marte, it would only be to a four-year deal. So this is a perfect deal to me. He's 33 right now. He'll be 37 by the time the deal's over. He may move to a corner spot at the end of that, kind of like how Curtis Granderson did. I think this is a good deal. I think all these deals are good. Look at them. All short-term deals. Canna, two years. Escobar, two years. Scherzer, three years. And Marte, four years. This allows the Mets farm system and the guys that are there to grow. Maybe the Mets don't go after a big third baseman. Maybe they don't go after Bryant, who's still out there, because Mark Vientos, Brett Beatty are on their way. We also have Ronnie Mauricio. Where's he going to play? But as these contracts come off the books, there's going to be space for these guys to play. Same thing when they signed James McCann last year. They signed him to a four-year deal to allow Francisco Alvarez, the number one prospect, time to get ready. And hopefully by that time, that McCann leaves, Alvarez will be ready to go. Let's look at Starling Marte's stats as we hit up baseball reference. I I think that's the best place to look personally for me. I know a lot of people look at other stats. I'm very simple. I like my batting average. I like my home runs. I like my RBIs and my stolen bases. 2021, he batted 310, 12 home runs, 55 RBIs, and this one, which is very important to me, 47 stolen bases. We need that speed. We need speed on the base paths so that these guys can score runs. The Mets need runs, and it's very important. He's an, been an all-star, has two gold gloves career-wise, 289 hitter, 126 home runs, 502 RBIs, and a 296 stolen bases. Career war, 34.8. So hopefully he can translate that with the Mets. I think he led, if I'm certain, he 
He led the major leagues last year with 47 stolen bases between Miami and Oakland. Played for Pittsburgh for a little while before going to Arizona, then Miami, then Oakland, 10 years, and four different teams. This is a big signing for the Mets offensively. They need a guy with a bat and speed, and they got that in Starling Marte, and a guy who can play center field. That up the middle is so important, from catcher to second base and shortstop to center field. We know James McCann is a pretty decent defensive catcher, way better than Wilson Ramos. Then you got Francisco Lindor at shortstop. We don't know yet who's going to be at second base, and we'll get a little into that a little later. But in now in center field, you're going to have Starling Marte. The Mets' defense is getting better. Their speed is getting better, and hopefully this translates offensively too. So the Mets can save runs and hopefully get their own runs and start winning some games, especially games that DeGrom, Scherzer pitch, where they probably will give up one or no runs. I mean, How many times last year did DeGrom get a no decision or lose a game only giving up one run? Mets offense has to be way better this season. Now some takeaways from the way the Mets are doing things and making these signings. It feels like they're trying to make it a more family-oriented feeling. I didn't get that from the Wilpons. Now, I don't know the Wilpons personally or how they handled a lot of their stuff, but I didn't get that feeling. You see, the Coens, Steve and Alex, his wife, went out to speak to Max Scherzer, his wife, and their family and convinced them to come to New York. That was very important. Same thing with bringing Mark Canna here. Billy Epler and Sandy Alderson, on his birthday, flew out to meet with Mark Canna, and it made a huge impact on Canna. They spoke with his wife and they made him feel wanted. And that's why he's a New York Met. That's huge moving forward because all that has ever been talked about is how no one wants to play for the Mets. So dysfunctional. And they're trying to change that narrative. It's a new regime. It's not just about the contracts, but it's about making these players feel wanted and at home. And that's what they did. Something else that I took away, and this is very important. If you look at Mark Canna, If you look at Starling Marte and you look at Eduardo Escobar, all three signings, something that Billy Epler has preached since becoming the general manager is positional flexibility. And by bringing in players that are versatile, he has delivered. Escobar can play all through the infield. Canna can play the outfield and first base. You could probably put Marte anywhere in the outfield. This positional flexibility is going to be huge moving forward. And if Epler can get the entire team on board with this, maybe, just maybe, he could turn this team into a championship winning team. But we'll see if it can translate to the field, and I hope it really does. Now, I mentioned defense up the middle, and I talked a little bit about we don't know who the second baseman is. And I say that because I really don't want it to be Robinson Cano. I don't know if I want it to be Jeff McNeil either, because he struggled. He struggled with Lindor, and then there was the raccoon, and that whole issue, and I don't want that coming up again. But maybe they're over it. They probably are over it. And it was probably the newspaper and the media that had to bring it back up through the offseason. They probably dealt with it already, and it's over. But we won't know. We won't know if this affects them moving forward. And then you're saying to yourself, Anthony, why Why are they not going to Javi Baez? What about Javi Baez? Well, Javi Baez signed with the Detroit Tigers. Six-year, $140 million. He's got to opt out after 2023 and a limited no-trade. 
Javi Baez had a good, well, a very good tenure with the New York Mets, only for a half a season, but he played really well. He batted 299, nine home runs, 22 RBIs, five stolen bases, 371 on base percentage, 515 slugging, OPS of 886, and OPS plus of 141. People compared this to when the Mets brought in Ioannis Cespedes. Some people say he played better than Ioannis Cespedes did. I thought we were going to keep him. I seriously did. I thought that that was going to be the other big signing. And it just wasn't in the cards. I thought that they could match the deal. And they probably could match to what the Tigers did. But the feeling I'm getting is that Javi Baez didn't fit into the new vision that Steve Cohen, Sandy Alderson, and Billy Epler want. We all know the whole thumbs down issue, which, you know, it bothers some, it didn't bother others. But Steve Cohen made the comments that he wasn't happy about his players doing that. Baez apologized and all. And, you know, he showed up and and he proved that he could play on the Mets. But maybe they just, they weren't happy about it. A couple of things that I also take away from this. Very sad that we had to give up Pete Crow Armstrong. And I know you're saying, oh, well, you know, he's a lo- young prospect. You can do that. And I'm not that big on prospects either. I'd rather have this major league team play very well. But here's the problem. Baez has now become a rental, and we lose our top five prospect in Pete Crow Armstrong. I know we also have Trevor Williams from the trade, but we traded Pete Crow Armstrong because the Mets were trying to, you know, half-ass the trade deadline and try to prove to the fans that they could make a move when they probably shouldn't have. It might have been best if they didn't make a move at all, because maybe they could use Pete Crow Armstrong as trade bait this offseason, but they traded for... Javi Baez in an attempt to try to win a division which they had no business winning anyway. Another thing is everyone keeps saying that Lindor runs the show. This definitely proves that he doesn't. This was his best friend. He got him here, but they weren't going to keep him. So Lindor doesn't run the show. And I'm pretty sure that there's going to be now new leadership in the Mets clubhouse with Max Scherzer. Another Met who signed elsewhere, Marcus Stroman. I know... The most controversial player on the Mets, Marcus Stroman, signed with the Chicago Cubs. Three years, $71 million. He's got an opt-out after year two. His tenure with the Mets was very interesting. He got traded from Toronto, came to the Mets. A lot of rumors that he didn't want to come to the Mets. He wanted to go to Yankees and then uh, just a whole mess. But this past season, when 10-13, and 13, with a 3.02 ERA, in 33 games started and 179 innings pitch. He was the Mets' workhorse. I, the win-loss record doesn't indicate how well he was. Now, he got traded to the Mets in 2019, but he only pitched two years. He didn't pitch during the 2020 season. He opted out. But in his tenure as a New York Met, he went 14-15 and 15 with a 3.21 ERA in 238.2 innings pitched. I was a fan of Stroman. I was a fan of what he did on the field. He was durable, and he he wasn't like the strikeout guy, but he got ground outs. He could play defense, a great defensive pitcher, and it's tough to see him go. I understand it. I know that um, his Twitter is very controversial. He did leave a tweet for the New York fans that Javi Baez has not done yet, so FYI on that. But Marcus Stroman said, Huge thank you to the Mets and the city of New York for the last few years created some friendships that will last forever. Thank you to the staff and coaches for always helping me prepare to the highest degree. Nothing but love to all the fans who supported us through it all. So people love him. People hate him. Even New York Mets fans love him, hate him. 
His tweets may have hurt his contract negotiations. He definitely deserved more money than he got. Like I mentioned before, his durability defense was a huge positive in my opinion and something that the Mets lacked. But again, this past weekend was a rough time for him on Twitter and he made some comments that I didn't necessarily agree with kind of downplaying the other players and saying that he's going to be lasting longer I'm you know you can pump yourself up great but I, I didn't like it felt like he was downgrading the other players like the Mets going after Gosman and Scherzer was a problem they went to them first before coming to Stroman and my whole thought process on that is you know if the Mets offered Stroman a contract he has every right to go and field offers from other teams. What's the difference? Maybe the Mets did want him, but maybe they prioritized Scherzer because, you know, that's a bigger deal, bigger contract, and, you know, a lot of teams are vying for him. There wasn't too much talk around Stroman. There was talk around Scherzer, Gosman, Ray, even John Gray got a contract beforehand, and Stroman is better than John Gray. So I'm pretty sure that his... I don't want to, I don't know if we use maturity or you know his time on social media may be costing him. And that's why I also go back to maybe he doesn't fit in the vision that the Mets want. Stroman and Baez did not really rub people the right way. And that could cost them not being on the Mets. We got one more Met that has now moved on. Rich Hill signs with the Red Sox. One year, five million dollars. He only had a brief run. He got traded to the Mets close to the trade deadline, and he pitched okay, you know? He was 1-4, and and that was due to a lot of un, you know, scored runs for him, but he had a 384 ERA. I thought he pitched pretty decently to get a contract and return with the Mets because the Mets need a lefty, I think. We've got Scherzer, we've got DeGrom, we've got Carrasco, we've got Taiwan Walker. And I guess Tyler McGill and David Peterson. But I hope the Mets get a lefty to come out of the rotation. Whether it's a Kikuchi that they've been talking about. Whether it's Carlos Rodon. Or maybe they make a trade. The Mets need another pitcher because Tyler McGill and David Peterson need to be depth pieces. They need to be depth pieces in AAA. They were brought up too early due to not having enough depth. And it hurt the Mets. And I'm pretty sure it hurt their progression. Now, with Rich Hill gone, Marcus Stroman gone, Javi Baez gone, I wish them nothing but the best. Hopefully, they succeed, except when they play the Mets. So, (laughs) there is that. My final thoughts before this train leaves the station. The Mets non-tendered three players. Steven Nagasek, Mark Payton, outfielder, and Robert Gazelman. He's the most notable of the three And Robert Gazelman started off strong with the New York Mets. Came up in 2016 when the Mets had depth issues and the injury plague hit the rotation to, you know, Matt Harvey. Also got Jacob deGrom had the injury bug. So the Mets brought up Seth Lugo and Robert Gazelman. Robert Gazelman went 4-2 with a 2.42 ERA. Solid, helped the Mets get to the playoffs for the second straight season. They lost in the wildcard game, but he helped them get there, along with Seth Lugo. He struggled the rest of the way through. In 2017, he went 8-7 and seven with a 5.19 ERA in 22 games started. Then, they moved him to the bullpen, and he got some success in 2018. He went 6-3 and three with a 4.28 ERA. 
two and three with a 4.66 ERA in 2019. And then in 2020, 2021, the injury bug, and he just struggled. 9.64 ERA in 2020, 3.77 ERA in 2021. A kind of valuable piece in the bullpen, but I think he could be replaceable. Maybe the Mets re-sign him to a minor deal. Who knows? But a very promising start to the career, and he kind of really struggled and faded out. So um, good luck to Robert Gazelman, Steven Nagasek, who was also a pitcher. I didn't think I mentioned that earlier. And Mark Payne, outfielder in their future. Hopefully they can get back to the big leagues. Now we mentioned the lockout right at the start of the show. It's the first one since 1994. So what it means, no player transactions, no signings or trades. That all ended Wednesday at 11.59 p.m. One thing that I find weird is they took the pictures of the players off the MLB website, and there's no pics or videos of the players. You can't find them. You can only watch historical pieces. I mean, how are people... How are baseball fans going to learn about the game or have the game grow? This is nonsense. It's stupid. These two sides, the MLBPA, and uh, which is the MLB Players Association, Rob Manfred and MLB, they, they need to get this situated. Now, this is a little different than 1994 where the strike happened during the middle of the season. This one at least happens during kind of the beginning of the offseason. We've got a couple of months. Hopefully, they can get things going. You know, Wednesday, when they went for the final meeting, they met for seven minutes and ended the day early. If you're really trying to, how do I say, if you're really trying to get a deal done, shouldn't you be working tirelessly? Even through the night, you should be meeting for a long time, sitting in that meeting room, and getting a deal done. Rob Manfred came out and did a press conference. No, don't. Don't come out until you have a deal done. Discuss this deal, get it done so we can get baseball in the spring. Hopefully by February when spring training starts, we get baseball back again. Now I know that even though there's no transaction, there's no moves, at least for the Mets, it's still kind of an interesting offseason because they still need a manager and that doesn't fall under the lockout. So at least the Mets can focus on their managerial search and putting together a coaching staff. We're going to get into that, a full episode Kind of like we did when we were looking at the president of baseball operations and the general manager. We did an episode, profiled all the candidates. We're going to do that next week. We're going to look at all possible candidates, all the managerial candidates that were mentioned so far. We're going to talk about them. We're going to get into it. Full episode next week on Subway to Shea. Now, as we wrap up the show... Please take a few minutes to write me a review. Let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this show better each and every week for you Met fans out there. So by going on Apple Podcasts, rating the show from one to five stars, hopefully you're giving me five stars, and leaving comments in the review section. It can only help me to help this show get better and grow. Also, I'm a contributor for Rising Apple, a New York Mets site on the fan side and network. You can check out my articles for Rising Apple as I will leave the links in the description of each episode. This week, there is no link. Make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog. You can follow Subway to Shea on Twitter and Instagram at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I appreciate you all so much.
And that will do it for this week's episode of Subway to Shea. Always remember, listen, subscribe, share, and review. For Anthony Rivera, you've been listening to Subway to Shea. Let's go Mets.